My guest today is Professor Carol Dweck. Professor Carol Dweck is one of the world's leading researchers in the field of motivation and is professor of psychology at Stanford University. Her research has focused on why people succeed and how to foster success. She has held professorships at Columbia and Harvard universities. She has lectured all over the world and has been elected to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Uh, she has published more than 200 papers and articles on these and related topics. Her two books relevant to this discussion are Self Theories, Their Role in Motivation, Personality and Development and Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. Professor Carol Dweck is with me on the phone from California. Carol, thank you very much for taking my call and welcome to Bridging the Gaps. It's a pleasure to be with you. Before we begin our discussion on the subjects of mindset and motivation and success, please tell us about yourself, uh, about your education, about your career, and about your research. Okay. Uh, I have a PhD in psychology from Yale University. I have been studying motivation and success for many, many years, decades upon decades. And um, in my work, I have found that people can have different mindsets about their talents and abilities. Some people, whether they're children or adults, think that their abilities are just fixed. They have a certain amount of intelligence, a certain amount of talent, and that's it. These are the people who are often afraid to take on challenges. They're not as persistent in the face of obstacles because they worry about looking smart and not looking dumb, about looking talented, not looking untalented. But other people have more of a growth mindset. They believe their talents and abilities can be developed. It's not that they think everyone's the same or anyone can be Einstein, but they understand even Einstein wasn't Einstein before he put in many, many years of hard work. We find that these are the people who take on the challenges, who stick to them, and achieve more in the long run, whether they're a student, an athlete, a business person. As you just briefly mentioned, your research shows that there are two fundamental ways to look at intelligence, talent and imagination. One approach is to view intelligence as being an unchangeable fixed internal characteristic and this approach leads to a fixed mindset. And second approach is to consider intelligence malleable that can be increased by effort. And this approach leads to a growth mindset. Talk to us about these two mindsets uh, and the underlying theories. Yes. So it turns out uh, first that when people have the different mindsets, the fixed versus growth mindset, they have different attitudes toward many things. First, they have different goals that they want to accomplish. In a fixed mindset, you just want to prove how talented or intelligent you are. It's fixed. 
you want it to be high. You want people to recognize it's high. But in a growth mindset, people are more focused on learning. Because uh, learning is the way that you increase your ability. So why waste your time looking smart over and over when you could be getting smarter? A second thing is that they have different attitudes toward effort. In a fixed mindset, effort is a bad thing. They think, hey, if you're really smart, clever, talented, you shouldn't need much effort. Uh, But in a growth mindset, people understand that effort, good strategies, good instruction from others, that's the way to get smarter. We believe that this fixed mindset belief that effort is a bad thing really afflicts many people and keeps them from achieving. Uh, Many people who were child prodigies or very uh, identified as gifted or talented when they were young don't achieve much because they don't learn to work hard. They think they can always coast and reach success through their innate talent. And the third thing is that in a fixed mindset, setbacks are also tragic. They mean you're not smart, you're not talented, you're not clever. Um, And so they get defensive, they hide their setbacks, they um, quit. They blame someone else, uh, but they don't address them and try to surmount them as, as much as people with a growth mindset. People in a growth mindset understand setbacks. These are an important part of learning. They're going to happen when you take on challenges. You should address them, and you should learn from them. So in our research, we find over and over that people in a growth mindset are energized by their mistakes and setbacks and really plunge in more deeply to figure out what happened and what they should do now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, An interesting point uh, that you make in your presentations is that babies are always eager to learn. But after a few years of schooling, a large number of students turn away from learning. And you suggest that Mm -hmm. students' beliefs uh, about their minds and its plasticity are key factors. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So virtually all babies are eager to learn and they learn the hardest things they're ever going to learn. They learn to walk. They learn to talk. And they don't give up or get discouraged or get embarrassed if they don't do it right away. They just keep at it, despite the mistakes, painful though they may be. Uh, But a few years later, we have so many kids who are turned off to school. They, They are lethargic learners. They're not eager. They're not embracing these challenges anymore. And our research suggests it's because they start judging themselves, many of them do. Um, Whether they've internalized it because other people judge them or give them the impression they're judging them, uh, they start um, trying to protect themselves. They start avoiding
avoiding things that may make them look incompetent. Uh, they stop um, persisting when something is difficult because it makes them feel dumb. We showed, by the way, that the way that mothers praise their babies when they're one, two, and three years of age can tell us whether that child is going to want a challenge and have a fixed or a growth mindset five years later. So it's not set in stone. That can always be changed. But the child is very, very sensitive to cues from the environment that say they're being judged or evaluated or that somehow their ability is in question. Mm -hmm. Your research says that students with growth mindset perform better than those students who have fixed mindsets. Can you give us yes. more information about some of your studies and experiments that led to these findings? We have two kinds of findings. One is we measure students' mindsets and then we see how they perform over difficult school transitions or difficult courses. And then in other studies, we actually teach them a growth mindset and see how they perform. So in the first, I'll give you an example, examples of both. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> in the first kind of study, um, for example, um, in one study, we measured students' mindsets about intelligence at the beginning of seventh grade. This is a very difficult time. In school, the school gets harder, the grading gets harder, the environment becomes less mm -hmm. personal, and a lot of students turn off to school. Mm -hmm. But the students who believed their intelligence could be developed actually did better and better across this transition. But those who believed in fixed intelligence did not. In another study, we looked at students who were entering the pre-medical curriculum at university. And even though we matched them, the fixed and growth mindset for ability, those who had a growth mindset ended the course with significantly higher final grades. Last year, we studied all of the 10th grade students in the country of Chile in South America. And we found that at every level of income, students who had a growth mindset substantially outperformed those who had a fixed mindset. And what it looked like um, is that children, poor children who had a growth mindset were performing as well as much wealthier children mm -hmm. who had a fixed mindset. So those are some of the ways that we have shown that a growth mindset predicts higher achievement over difficult um, school transitions. But in many studies, we also teach students a growth mindset. We teach them that every time they go out of their comfort zone to learn something really hard, really challenging, and they stick to it, the neurons in their brain change, forming new and or strong.
stronger connections and they can actually change their intellectual abilities. We also teach them how to apply this to their schoolwork. By now, we have um, taught this growth mindset to thousands of students, whether they're um, early adolescents, whether they're um, at university, and we see consistently that we can change the motivation and raise the achievement of students when they learn a growth mindset. And this is especially true for students who are laboring under negative stereotypes, like females and maths, or some branches of science, uh, like minority students who may often be negatively stereotyped. A growth mindset seems to release them from that stereotype and motivate them to achieve. Uh, you have used brain science and EEG to study that what exactly happens in our brains and how does the functioning of a fixed mindset brain uh, uh, differ from the functioning of a growth mindset brain. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us about the brain science behind these two mindsets. Yes. It's really remarkable. Now, it's not that the brain can't change. The brain can always change, but it's really dramatic how our brains are functioning differently because we believe different things. So um, with my collaborators, we've shown that when students are in a fixed mindset and they make a mistake, they don't get involved. They, they become very emotional. And then when you show them the right answer, they don't process it deeply. Whereas those with a growth mindset really focus on the mistake, process it, and then when you retest them on the material, they're much more likely to correct that mistake. Um, other scientists have uh, done work that follows up on this and shown, again, that in a fixed mindset, you don't see the processing of the mistake. It's more that they detect a mistake and they run from it. But in a growth mindset, you see that you see the relevant areas of the brain light up. You see them processing it deeply and then correcting it. So the whole way that you treat errors, and errors are such a rich source of learning, uh, will differ dramatically depending on your mindset. So how do we develop these mindsets uh, are we born with particular mindsets or does this depend on our upbringing is this genetic or does this depend on our upbringing and our environment uh, this is a typical uh, nature versus nurture question yeah so we don't rule out that there could be an element of nature <clears throat> kids come with different temperaments and that could feed into their mindsets but we have shown repeatedly that nurture is very power powerful. The way that parents or teachers respond to kids 
in their praise or their criticism is critical. When parents even praise the child's ability, well-meaning, we have found it teaches a fixed mindset and creates vulnerability for the child. So if a parent or other adult tells a child they're clever or talented, that is leading to a fixed mindset. The, in our studies, we've shown that when you praise talent or ability, the child no longer wants to try something difficult. They want to keep looking clever. Uh, when you do give them something difficult, they become discouraged and give up. And we've even shown that they will lie about their scores on those difficult problems in order to keep feeling that they're clever. So what's the alternative? We have found that when adults praise the process the child engages in, uh, their hard work, the strategies they try, the choices they make, what they focus on, um, their persistence, their improvement, when those are acknowledged, encouraged, or praised, it's teaching a growth mindset. Those children will then want the hard task, even if they might make mistakes, and they'll stick to the difficult task. Many of them tell us those are their favorites when they've been acknowledged or praised for their process. When you meet with the students, uh let's say, uh, in seventh grade, and, and, and try to determine uh, their mindsets, is this a straightforward process? Uh, how do you uh, proceed? Well, when we assess students' mindsets, we ask them to agree or disagree with some statements like this. Your intelligence is something very basic about you that you can't really change. You can learn new things, but you can't really change how intelligent you are. Fixed mindset, if they agree with it. Or everybody, no matter who they are, can become a great deal more intelligent. Growth mindset. But you can also uh, come to understand who are the kids or students who have more of a fixed mindset, because you'll see they don't want hard tasks, they'll choose easier things, uh, ones they're already good at. They don't take feedback very well uh, because they feel that it reflects poorly on them. They'll give up more easily or become defensive when something becomes difficult or they start making errors. So even if you say those things, people will say, ah, yes, I know who these are. Please talk to us about the Brainology program and its curriculum. Uh, what is the motivation for the development of this program? Uh, what are its goals and objectives? And what is uh, the curriculum? Once we showed that teaching a growth mindset was so beneficial for students. It, it really, in many cases, transformed their motivation, allowed them to perform better, 
we wanted to have a way to disseminate it more broadly. So we created an online program for adolescents that we call Brainology. It teaches them all about the brain and how to use it. It's kind of an owner's manual for their brains. It teaches them how their brains can grow new or stronger connections when they work hard. It takes them through um, uh, their academic studies, what are, what are they having trouble with, and it allows them to reconceptualize those problems in terms of a growth mindset. They counsel other students, they keep a journal, uh, they visit state-of-the-art brain labs um, in, you know, in a virtual reality and learn, learn about brain science. Um, so, again, they learn about brain science and they learn how to apply it to their schoolwork. We've had uh, many very, very uh, promising and interesting results from the Brainology program. And h- how is this program uh, delivered? Is this program available to children uh, and students in, in schools, uh, in some selected schools? Yes, um, it's... This program, Brainology, is delivered online, and um, you can find out, uh, teachers or parents can find out about it by going to Mindset Works, one word, MindsetWorks.com. So it's available to be ordered from Mindset Works. And by the way, um, number of schools in the UK use it. Um, in England and Scotland, uh, there are many people who have used it quite successfully. Uh, do you think that our education systems are in line with these findings and our education systems support the development and adoption of uh, growth mindset? There are many things about our education system that do not support a growth mindset, um, sorting kids by abilities and acting as though those categories are permanent, uh, high-stakes testing where many students think their permanent ability is being measured, that you're telling them how clever they are and how clever they'll be for the rest of their lives. Many educators communicate a fixed mindset to students. That um, even in well-meaning ways, saying, don't worry, not everyone can be good at math or science, instead of figuring out how to motivate them to become excellent and how to instruct them uh, in ways that help them become excellent in math and science. So, yes, uh, many aspects of our educational system can promote a fixed mindset. But many schools are now uh, trying to foster more of a growth mindset here and all over the UK um, by, uh, first of all, evaluating students, not on their final products, but on whether they're challenging themselves, how much progress they're making as they learn something. Uh, whether they stick to challenges, 
whether they use their knowledge to help or tutor other kids. And I think educators are realizing that this helps not just struggling students, but it turns out many of our advanced students lose their motivation when the schoolwork gets difficult. And to keep them challenged and motivated is extremely important as well. There are many interesting ways to look at your research uh, from students' point of view, from teachers' point of view, and from parents' point of view. And perhaps there is a need to improve awareness at all levels. Uh, what is your view on this? Yes, it's really important um, for not just students to learn about a growth mindset and how to put it into practice, but for their parents to learn about it too, because um, parents may still believe that telling their children how clever or talented they are is going to give their children high self-esteem, high confidence, uh, high motivation to succeed in school when it's doing just the opposite. So parents need to be educated in how to support their children in a growth mindset so that those children will love challenges, take them on, and know how to see them through. That will be what helps their children become successful, not only in school, but in life. And teachers, too, need a growth mindset. Um, and not just about their students, but about themselves. Teaching is an incredibly challenging profession. And teachers need to know that they're on a journey of growth and learning themselves. And that every single student has something to teach them about becoming a better teacher. So far, we have uh, discussed the concept of growth mindset from early education perspective. Let us discuss the implications of your research at a different level. When a grown-up lands on a dream job, uh, let's say he or she becomes a CEO, the mindset can change at that time also. Uh, and one may adopt uh, a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that these mindsets are very fluid. Mm -hmm. We can have one mindset about one ability and a different mindset about another ability. And it's also important to know that these mindsets can change, that uh, sometimes when you're very successful, you can slip into a fixed mindset of, you know, it's fixed and I have it, I have all the answers. Or sometimes when you're struggling, you can fall into a fixed mindset, thinking I, I'm no good at this and I never will be. It's becomes really, really important to monitor our mindsets, and to understand when we're slipping into a fixed mindset and how it might be hurting us. So if you're a CEO these days, when businesses are changing constantly, transforming themselves, confronting new unprecedented challenges, it's critical to have a growth mindset. Uh, to be able to innovate and create in the face of this kind of pressure. We are, um, we've recently finished a study 
of Fortune 1000 companies, a group of Fortune 1000 companies, large organizations. And we found that the organizations themselves can have a mindset, not just individual people. We asked employees at each organization, um, does your company believe that abilities are fixed and does it kind of worship talent? Or does your company, and we call that a culture of genius, or does your company uh, really believe that talent can be developed and do they focus on that for everyone? And we call that a culture of development. So it turned out that people showed remarkable agreement in um, saying that their company was either a culture of genius or a culture of development. And what was really interesting was it made a very big difference. When people were in these growth mindset organizations, culture of development, they said they felt empowered by their company. They felt um, supported. They felt that the company really fostered creativity and innovation. And if they took a risk, but it didn't work out, a reasonable risk and it didn't work out, the company would have their backs, would support them. In the fixed mindset companies, the companies often talked about valuing creativity or innovation, but if something didn't work out, someone was punished. Also, the people in the fixed mindset organization said, because there was such a premium on being talented, being elite, there was a lot of cheating, cutting corners, and keeping secrets, because that's how you get ahead of the other guy. Whereas in the growth mindset company, there the employee said there was a great valuing of teamwork. But my favorite finding was this, what the managers in these organizations said. In the growth mindset organization, they said they just saw so much managerial potential in their employees, so much potential to rise within the organization, much more than the managers in the fixed mindset companies said. Now, what's so exciting to me is that the fixed mindset companies, they're hiring for talent and they're worshiping talent, but a few years later, they're not saying that their people are showing this great potential to rise in the organization. In the growth mindset organization, yeah, they're hiring for good performance, but they're hiring people who are passionate and learning-oriented and and they're saying, yes, these people have star potential. So this is how, this is one of the ways that these mindsets can play out at an organizational level. So perhaps then it's a good idea uh, 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 that uh, the concept of adopting growth mindset should be discussed and encouraged at workplaces, in offices, and if required necessary, training should be provided. So the way different organizations provide professional development trainings, maybe uh, growth mindset, adopting growth mindset 
should also be part of uh, that type of uh, professional training? Yes. Well, first of all, um, growth mindset can be itself professional training, but it is also a wonderful context to create, to make people receptive to other kinds of professional development or organizational training. Because um, we have found that if you just teach skills, they don't take. But if you teach them in the context of a growth mindset, people will learn them better and put them into practice better. So yes, a growth mindset can be an excellent context for promoting professional development. And uh, this could be a very interesting uh, context uh, for encouraging learning to learn and lifelong learning? Absolutely. Um, at every age, you know, you hear, you hear people in their 20s saying, oh, I'm too old to learn this, my time has passed. And then you certainly hear that from people in their 30s, 50s, 70s. And yet, research shows it's never too late to learn. The brain remains very plastic, very pliable, very capable of growth and learning throughout life. So this idea that you can grow your abilities uh, actually becomes more and more important as we get older. Another interesting point, and you have touched upon this in your uh, uh, publications, uh, that the idea of uh, trying to be perfect all the time is an idea that may push you into fixed mindset uh, that you may actually stop striving for improvement and it's just a perfection that, that you are looking for and th that you intend to adopt perfection and full stop. Yes. Um, so being perfectionistic can be very da damaging, especially when it's accompanied by a fixed mindset. There you feel, I have to be perfect right away. I have to prove that I have this incredible ability to the point of perfection right away. So you don't take on challenges, and you beat yourself up if you don't show perfection very quickly when you do try something. But there's another form of perfectionism. Maybe it should not be called perfect perfectionism. And that's when you set a very high standard for yourself. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a guiding vision, and it's something that you intend to achieve over a period of time. So maybe a young athlete may set a very high long-term standard or a young musician or a young scientist. But it's something that they work at over time. They're learning, they're growing, they're developing toward that standard. And that can be beneficial. And that's more in line with a growth mindset. We started discussing individuals, young children, uh, in school education, we discussed uh, the concept of uh, uh, growth mindset versus 
fixed mindset uh, 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 in office environment and you just use this term that organizations with fixed mindset and organizations with growth mindset so we can extrapolate this idea and we can say is society with fixed mindset is society with growth mindset how would you extrapolate this idea to that level absolutely i love that extrapolation and in fact we have begun studying things at a more societal level we've done some research on um, peace in the Middle East. And we have shown that when you teach a growth mindset to Palestinians or Israelis, uh, they like each other better and they are more willing to entertain compromises, major compromises, for the sake of peace. So when you teach them it's not that groups have an inherent nature. It, it's not that some groups are inherently evil or aggressive or violent, um, but that groups have the potential to change over time. That many groups you once would have considered evil or violent now seem perfectly normal. Uh, so when we teach that, again, we see more positive attitudes and more willingness to compromise uh, on major issues that are obstacles to peace. We're working on that now. We're uh, in the process. We've published a, a paper on it, but we're now working on developing workshops that will teach this in a deeper way and have, we hope, more lasting effects in the face of the incidents that are constantly occurring. So yes, we think that countries or peoples can have predominantly a, a growth mindset or predominantly a fixed mindset about many things, about groups in society, about each other, about whether the society is capable of growth, whether the world has a fixed inherent nature or the world is shaped by people and can be improved by them. So yes, the mindsets can be applied at these uh, very large societal levels. As part of your research, you have studied individuals, groups, and organizations, and your research encourages individuals, groups, and organizations to adopt growth mindset. Are there any examples where you have noticed major changes and improvements as a result of uh, your work? Well, what has been really fantastic, even thrilling, is to see these ideas take hold because so many educators, so many people throughout society, but particularly educators, have not been happy with the way their profession is conceptualized, the way they, uh, the profession is structured, the way they are um, required to interact with kids, test them, and evaluate them. And Many of them feel that 
of the growth mindset idea has provided them with an alternative way of thinking and being and teaching and helping kids grow their minds. So this has been extraordinarily gratifying to see teachers one after another tell me or write to me, tell me in person or write to me to say that uh, it has really transformed their way of being and transformed their students' educational experience and outcomes. And particularly many teachers who um, teach in schools that have chronically underperformed. There are, in my country, there are groups that are always chronically underperforming. Um, students on Native American res reservations, students in, we say, inner cities, so very poor sections of cities, minority students, and in many cases now, teachers using growth mindset principles have taken those students to the top, the, uh, becoming the number one class or school in their state, in their district, and um, sometimes in the nation. So that has just been unbelievable. And it's, it's absolutely evidence that kids have the most enormous potential that we are just beginning to unlock. However, in parallel, there are other developments also. For instance, this generation uses smartphones this generation does not need uh, maps uh, they have uh, their uh, navigators in their cars in their phones there was a different research and i was uh, reading about that research that uh, this generation expects everything to happen like tick 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 in steps no surprises no challenges everything is very straightforward however when you earlier mentioned uh, growth mindset you mentioned something that uh, they should not shy away from accepting challenges so these developments uh, uh, in terms of social media in terms of uh, uh, technology uh, how do these developments relate to what you believe our students should have at early age? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So I don't think that having information quickly available at our fingertips means that we can't, uh, that means automatically that we don't want any challenges. It's nice to not be challenged when you want to go somewhere. <laughs> and it's nice to be able to find things out quickly, um, information that you need. Uh, but there will always be challenges in life. Um, we don't have academic success without challenges. We don't have career success. We don't have personal success and uh, relationship success without challenges. So I don't think that making, uh, um, so people didn't say, oh, now we have a washing machine and a dishwasher. Uh, there are no more challenges in life. So I don't see that it automatically has to be that way. But 
you may be sounding a warning uh, that um, kids these days need to learn that because some things are easy, it doesn't mean everything has to be easy and at their fingertips. Uh, regardless of how we come down on this issue, it is true that kids need to develop this love of challenges and the ability to stick with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, what are major developments and breakthroughs that you envisage in the field of your research, uh, say in next 50 to 60 years? <laughs> well, well I'll, first I'll tell you some things that we're doing now. We're um, really investigating willpower and self-regulation from a mindset perspective. Um, my former students are um, looking at aging from a mindset perspective, are looking at um, bullying and aggression from a mindset perspective. So there are a lot of societal issues that we're tackling from a mindset perspe perspective. If we look ahead even further, it will be very, very exciting to link mindset research up with brain research to really see how changing someone's mindset changes their brain, not just individual connections, but how the brain reorganizes with learning, um, how, uh, how it, new systems can be linked up to make further learning uh, even more powerful. So this whole hookup between mindset and brain research, I think, will be fascinating. A quick question. Uh, the way we manage learning in our educational institutions, uh, do you have any views uh, on this? I think it's a great question to ask how we manage learning in universities because, or anywhere because it's becoming clear that um, knowledge proliferates so quickly and that old facts, what we thought were facts, are, are now obsolete. So what, what becomes obvious is that we have to create what is commonly called lifelong learners, people who are thirsty for learning, who know how to learn, who know how to take on the challenge of learning and self-educate or know when to go back and uh, receive instruction. So. It's not that we are imparting particular knowledge, but we being at every level of schooling this excitement about learning, this eagerness to learn, and this ability to learn. Professor Carol Dweck, thank you very much for being with me. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show. Oh, it's been a pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you and goodbye. Bye.